right. You can take out your Bibles. Um, can you believe it? Your pastor forgot his Bible this morning. I uh, left it in my car uh, down the street, and so I pulled one of the Bibles that we provide out, our ESV paperback version. If you're a guest uh, with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, you're free to take it home with you, or you're free to use it even this morning um, as we study the Word of God together. And I'm going to ask my friend Greg, come on up here, Greg. And this isn't quite tall enough for him yet, but it will be. All right. And uh, he's going to read Scripture for us. This is my friend Greg, my brother. He's a good guy. He supports the ministry of First Baptist Church by being in a small group and sharing his life with others in a small group and by teaching in children's ministry as well and now even in sharing in the ministry of God's Word uh, by reading Scripture out loud for us. And he's coming to the men's gathering at 4 o'clock. All right, tell him. Say, y'all be there. And see, he can't even say y'all. It doesn't work. It just doesn't come. Oh, he said it. He did it. Way to go. All right. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the, through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. So what's the difference between form and substance? What's the difference between the wrapper that the McDonald's double cheeseburger comes in and the actual cheeseburger? Because a person could look at this passage and say, hey, look, let's just follow this as a formula. Let's look at all the things that they did, and let's replicate them, let's do them, and God's going to bless us as a church. Well, if we say that, if we say we've got to do it exactly in that form, then it breaks down pretty quickly because, uh, well, then we'd have to move to the temple courts, which, are, uh, which really aren't, aren't there. We, we think we know where they are in Jerusalem, uh, but uh, there's no temple there right now. We'd have to find some apostles to teach us, and I, I don't think we would be able to find them anymore because they're all with Jesus in heaven. And we'd also have to make a lot of bread. And there are some gluten-free folks here and some low-carb dieters that would have a problem with bread every meal. So it breaks down pretty quickly. You see, these are forms. They're the packaging, only the packaging of the people's devotion. That's what I want you to get here this morning, is that all of these things that you see here, especially verse 42, as far as the disciplines they practice and then the results or the outcomes that occurred, they are all one result, and that is the result of their devotion to Jesus Christ as Lord, as their new Messiah. And so we've got to look past the forms here, and we have to ask, what is substantive here? And what is substantive here? What really is the meat of it, what is really the juice of it is this, is that these people devoted themselves to God through their Lord, Jesus Christ. That's the substance. When my wife makes a wonderful barbecue chicken for dinner, she can put it on a plate and present it to me. She can serve it on a strong paper plate. She can put it in a bowl. She can put it in a casserole dish. She can serve it to me on top of newspaper or a Dr. Seuss book. And I'm still going to enjoy that wonderful barbecue chicken. Those are just forms that deliver the goods. What I really want is the goods. That's form. And how did they, 
How they did it is not nearly as critical as why they did it, as why they did it, and what it meant for the kingdom of God that they were making Jesus Christ their Lord. At the end of the passage, you're going to see that the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were coming to Christ. This conversation about Messiah, it was constantly central in what was happening there in the Scripture. What's the substance behind the form? Was it just a church program that they were going through in the first century? Or was it dedicated people experiencing Christ and making Jesus Christ their Lord? Is the church people who break bread? Is the church people who even go to teaching and go to an adult class? No. Here's what the church is, as we see it in the Scripture. The church is the new people of God. First Peter, we covered that a few months ago. Under the lordship of Jesus Christ, baptized in his spirit, made his children through the adoption provided by grace. You and I, we are sons and daughters. We are children of God. We are in Jesus's family. And we're going to talk for a moment as we walk through these disciplines, how Jesus completely redefined family when he created this new family and people of God. God likes making a people for himself. He does. He promised that of Israel when he spoke to Abraham. Take a look at Genesis 12 in verse 2. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. All right? He's promising to make Abraham, who is even without a child at this point, into a massive nation and a nation that's going to bless many nations. God likes to make a people for himself so he can be the God of that people so that people will present him as God. Now listen to Paul, who was a devout Hebrew before he came to know Jesus as his Messiah. Paul says to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, he says, this is the way God saw himself making the people through Christ. I will make my dwelling among them, and I will walk among them, and I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. God has in view a people very separate to himself there. And now in Christ, we have that ability to be a devoted, separate people to God under his lordship, to be his very children. So in times past in the Old Testament, God dwelled through the tabernacle with his people, through the pillar of fire with Israel as they journeyed through the wilderness, and through the temple where he dwelled after Solomon built the temple. But when Jesus dies, what happens? The curtain of the temple is torn a symbol of the fact that not God had departed from the people, but there would be a new templing, a new dwelling place of God, and it's us. It's us. It's you and me that are dwelling with God, that are templing with God. God's people remade by Jesus, templing with God in a complete spiritual sense now. People won't have to go on pilgrimage all the way to Jerusalem to meet with God or to get close to God. He will dwell 
in his people. And those who have Jesus as Messiah, God's Spirit dwells in them and resides in them. As they have regenerated hearts by Jesus, they have the ability now to live out true devotion to God. They have that ability. And so the new people of God are templing with God, and they're devoted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. There's this wonderful thing that's happening. Jesus has entered them. Jesus has entered us, and our devotion now is to Jesus. So we want to be in that temple with God, but God wants to temple with us. And there's this wonderful shared relationship. And so let's take a quick look at the five devotions that we see in this community. Remember, the overarching principle that I'm making here today is this, is that this is the result of devotion to God through the Lordship of Jesus Christ. These people were making Jesus their Lord. That was the substance of this. The first thing that they were devoted to, it says, and the word devoted is a long word that means to adhere to like glue. What makes church sticky? Is it the programs? Is it the coffee? Is it easy parking? Is it comfortable pews? Or is it devotion to Jesus? Then those forms follow in devotion to Jesus. They were devoted to what? The apostles' teaching. Now why? Well, first of all, God wanted to establish the apostles as teachers of the new church in the early church who had spent three-plus years with Jesus, hearing his teaching and hearing him work through it and, and preach out, midrash out the Old Testament and prophecy. And so, they were these authoritative teachers that were there. We do not have the New Testament canon yet. We don't have the completion of the Scripture. So what did they study together? They studied the Old Testament. They went back, but now through the lens of their Messiah, Jesus, now through the promised Messiah that they recognized was promised all the way from Genesis to Malachi, they recognize. Jesus in the Scripture. So they looked to the Old Testament, and they taught them teaching on Jesus, but they sat under authoritative teaching. I, we don't just give the pulpit away to anyone. We don't give a classroom or even a small group away until people are trained well in the Word of God because we want the Word of God taught correctly. But here's another mark about this form that they had here. There was no news cycle back in that day. They're, they weren't f scrolling through their phones to find out what was going on on Twitter or what was the buzz on Instagram. CNN was not changing the front page of its website every two hours. Fox News was not sending updates to their phones and to their iPads. The big news of the day was still Pentecost. What had happened at Pentecost, this incredible mirror, this loud sound of rushing wind, the fire coming down upon these early believers and them speaking in the languages that people could understand. And people were still asking, how could that possibly have happened? In other words, there was a wondrous, miraculous event that still provided the opportunity to bring a message and to teach the Word of God to the people. And so they relied upon this teaching. They relied upon the apostles' teaching. They taught Messiah. They taught the Old Testament. They taught the revelation of Jesus Christ. No one just stood up, no philosopher just stood up and said, oh, I think this, this is what happened. This is what happened. No. Just like we don't Google the Trinity. Who would ever Google the Trinity? Who would ever go on and Google the Trinity? Which, by the way, has over a million 
answers to it, okay? A million, 93,000 and something answers to just Googling the Trinity. There's the Mormon view there. Uh, there's why is the doctrine of the Trinity important. Then there's Trinity Sunday. There's the meaning and origin. And then there's the spiral life symbols for Trinity around the world. Uh, is the Trinity pagan? Uh, they're all, I mean, there are 100,000 different opinions about Trinity, Right? We, don't, we don't just Google that. What we do is we come under authoritative teaching of the Word of God to make sure that the Word of God is, is divided correctly, that it remains what we believe it is to be, the very words of God, a double-edged sword that divides joints and marrow, that pierces the heart. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Right? The second thing that they were devoted to was the fellowship, or what's called the koinonia. Right? And the koinonia, it means sharing. It means partnership. It means all linked together as partners. And what does that mean? It meant time. It meant special care to be united over individual differences. Right? Oh, I, if, if, if we started asking questions of my favorite this, my favorite that, or my least favorite this, or my least favorite that, we'd get hundreds of answers in the room here this morning. But when we talk about devotion to Jesus Christ, suddenly our differences and our opinions matter less than our ability to come together in the fellowship of Jesus Christ. Hey, um, I love going and, and watching kids and cheering them on in their sports. And, and so I went to a cross-country race on Wednesday, and it was a big one. It was a big middle school race, and it was held at Holland Christian. And um, I, I planned on getting there at uh, 4 o'clock, and I did. I just didn't realize I was going to have to walk a mile to get to the race because basically half of Holland and Zealand was there. And so I parked in a neighborhood way, way, way down the road, and I, I had my own cross-country race in the rain. I literally had to sprint to the starting line to be there on time. And there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of umbrellas and people standing under there enduring a pretty nasty day out in the rain. And kids with mud all the way up to the back of their necks, just, just poured all the way up the back of their necks from the races or just from, from warming up and jogging around just to get warmed up from the race. And here's the incredible thing that I witnessed there is every time the kids would go by, the crowd would move to the next section where the kids were going to come by and would cheer them on there. And then would finally end up at the finish line and they would cheer them on. And then you would see, like I would recognize, you know, when, the, when certain people would just get really excited, they go, come on, Mary, come on. Come on, say. You know, you knew it was their kid or their nephew or their grandson or something like that. But most of them actually remained until the last runner finished. Their interest was not just in their kid, but they stayed. They stayed and cheered everyone on to the end. Kevin Beaning asked his daughter to ask you to be the koinonia this morning, didn't he? He asked you to be the partnership. He asked you to help his daughter grow into the best Christ she can possibly be. He asked you to cheer her all the way to the finish line, which is the revelation of Jesus Christ. You're in the koinonia. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the fellowship. Listen to Galatians 3, 28 29. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female, for you are all one in Christ. This passage has been misused for special interests. 
Here is the truth of this passage. Nothing matters more than the fact that you are in Jesus Christ. Any identity, any designation, any difference that you have is not nearly as significant as you all being one in Jesus Christ. And you have been made one into one body of Christ. So he says, if you are Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. He's saying, by faith, this is how you have been made, just like Abraham, by faith, trusted God. All right? So then the third devotion is this, the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread. And where did they break bread? Where did they break bread? Well, they broke bread in their homes, right? And so here's a, a picture, first of all, of just a small house uh, that uh, they found. This is called the burnt house. And so they did a recreation of this house in Jerusalem. And you see, there are very, very small rooms. And, so, and uh, we actually went into, um, 47 of us went into a small house, uh, not in Jerusalem, but in Chorazin. Uh, I think it was Chorazin. Um, and uh, we went into a house, of course, that was roofed and, 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 and all of that. And 47 of us fitting in, in a house was really, really tight. We were on top of each other, and it was very uncomfortable. And you can see here that probably, you know, not more than a dozen or, or, or 15 people could even be in this kind of house. But they, they met in little places like this. It was very intimate places where they could meet. Now, if I invite you to my home, you're going to learn a lot about me when you come to my home. Your, for, your intimacy with me is going to start with just literally learning me and understanding me. You're, you're going to know that I hold on to too many books because books are everywhere in my house. Uh, you're going to know that I really enjoy wrestling with my dog. You're going you're gonna to know that I put too much ketchup on my food because that, that's the condiment that's not evil. Okay? I didn't say it. All right? Um, you're going to know um, uh, my likes and dislikes when it comes to, to, to television or movies or um, uh, even what I have to drink at the dinner table. You're going to learn a lot about me because I'm different when I'm at home. That's my home. That's my, that's my place where, where I'm relaxed and, 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 and I'm me. And these people said, come in, pop right through that bubble and come into our homes. They broke bread together in their homes. There's something more personal and intimate when you're in someone's home. Our small groups once a month are meeting in someone's home, at least one time a month, in someone's home together. All right? And so the house would have been modest like this. And the other thing that you would notice if you were invited to one of those meals together for the breaking of bread together is, is whatever they had, they would try to be generous with, but it was all really that they had for that day. It was truly their daily bread. They didn't have freezers in their garages and freezers in their basements and giant refrigerators. They just put out what God had provided to them that day from his hand. All right? Now, there's, there's this um, thing that we call the seven species in Israel, and it's figs, and it's uh, pomegranates, and it's olives, and it's dates, and it's wheat, and it's barley, and it's uh, another thing. Uh, uh, did I say pomegranates? Um, it's, it's, it's those things. And so, um, and this was right after Pentecost that they were eating in, together and breaking bread together. And so you likely would have seen some of those things that were put out there. But the, the thing was is that when all that stuff was put, it would be put at the center of the room, and we would all, you would all gather around and you would see how God had provided from his hand. We don't really see that when we come home from the grocery store and we drink out of a milk carton, okay? Or we microwave something, or we pull a Twinkie out of the cabinet. 
We don't really see, we don't go, this is straight from God's hands, right? No. We go, this is straight from monosodium glutamate and from Kellogg's and from wherever. We don't really make that connection. But they would have made that connection. And so, so the breaking of, of bread was entrance into blessing. Every time you broke bread together, you entered into the blessing of God because you were looking at how God had provided for you. So gathering together was a longer time period because everybody shared in it, all right? Everyone shared in it like that, and they talked a lot, and it was their place to exchange. And they started with, God is good. God has blessed us. This is from God's hand. So what do you think the conversation was about? It was an opportunity to get re-God-centered every day of their lives. What do you do at the dinner table? What do you do when you're driving with the kids down to Disney World? What do you do when you're on a short excursion to maybe Chicago or, or somewhere else? Where do you find sacred moment, moments with your family? And where do you really break bread? Where do you really enter into the blessings of God? Praying with them, talking about Scripture together. All right? So they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and fourthly, they committed themselves to the prayers. The prayers, all right? And it wasn't to prayer, as you might read in some of your translation. It was to the prayers, all right? It's known that there were at least 18 different prayers that were practiced by the Hebrews. And we also learned that in the first century that it was customary in lots of churches for the people three times a day to recite the Lord's Prayer that Jesus had given in the Gospels. Right? And so why did they have established prayers or already prepared prayers? Well, first of all, they were an oral tradition, and that was one of the ways that they taught the Word of God. They encountered the Word of God through the prayers that they said because they had memorized prayers. And today we say, oh, God, we just thank you for this. And we, and we have these open-ended and we have these uh, spontaneous prayers, and that's wonderful. And those things happened as well. But they were also teaching and take a look here. Here's, there's, you'll see the Hebrew. Well, they're, they're, they're gathering together. There was something about experiencing Christ together in community, praying together. You should see how many people are, assent, uh, are assembled at the Western Wall, especially on Friday before Sabbath, and praying at the Western Wall. But show the picture of the Shema right there. Yeah. And so right there, that, that part there in the middle is simply the Shema. It's right out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And um, hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. Um, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind, with all of your strength. And these words that I command you today shall be unto you, uh, unto your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, I extended it a little bit, but that's the Shema. That's one of the prayers that they practice there from Deuteronomy chapter 6. How are we praying? Are we teaching the Word of God as we pray? Do we pray Scripture the way that first century church? And again, this is just devotion to Jesus Christ. It's not the form, it's the substance of it. And finally this, they were devoted to the continual work of God among them. They had an expectancy. If you look at verse 43, it says, and they continued 
to experience signs and wonders from the apostles. And wonder occurred. There was, they had wonder, but there were signs and wonders that occurred there. And so there was the continual work of God among them. God was working, and they expected God to work. Are we such a church and such a family of God that we are expecting God to work here? We've prayed up. We've expected up. We have faithed up. We have trusted. We've obeyed, and now we're waiting to see what God will do. They were expectant of the continual work of God. These disciplines were a result of making Jesus Christ their Lord. There were miracles performed just by the apostles, okay? We don't want to say that anybody had. It says that they were performed by the, by the apostles. But there have to be miracle seekers if there's miracles. There have to be people needing miracles if there are miracles. And so verses 44 to 47, you see the expression of Christian community. And what do we in, infer from this? They were God's people. They shared their stuff. They shared their hearts. They experienced Christ together in community. And what was the result of that? They praised God, and God added to their numbers daily. They praised God. Their worship increased because they had Christ together. They were united in Christ together. Now, let me pause and go back to some of the first thoughts that maybe we had if we encountered this scripture this morning just with our flesh. We said, man, that's a lot of stuff to do. I don't want to do all that. Right? I don't have time for that. I don't have the resources for that. I'm not going to invite those people over to my house. Right? We, we came up with all of the different excuses and reasons why this just won't fit into our calendar. And so, please, hear urging from your pastor here this morning. I'm not saying to you, you have to do all of these things in the, the way that they're done right there. What I'm saying is, is surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life and see the result of that. These are the results of making Jesus Christ their Lord. In Mark chapter 3, 6, excuse me, in Mark chapter 6, verse 31 through 35, you can see it there on the screen, I believe, yeah. It says, and his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him, and they called him, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you, okay? So they basically made the family call. They, they pulled the inside card. They pulled the trump. Hey, mom wants to talk to you, Jesus. Here's how Jesus responds. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he's my brother and sister and mother. What was Jesus saying there? He was completely redefining family in the context of making him Lord. We very casually around here, we say, Hey, welcome, brother. Come on in, brother. Hey, sister, come on in. Right? Do we really get the fact that our devotion to Jesus, that's what makes us brother and sister? Do we really get the fact that because we together have been sealed in the Holy Spirit of God, because we've trusted Jesus Messiah as our Savior, and we've made him our Lord, that's why we are the family of God? Here's what Joseph Hellerman says in his book, When Church Was a Family. 
He says, we got a, we got a real problem on our hands today. Our congregants are American individualists. Convincing them that their ultimate hope for healing lies in engaging with instead of running from significant others is an almost insurmountable task. So, and we can thank World News for this. We can thank society. We can thank the hostility that we see even in our country today. But you know what, folks? We've become afraid of people. We've looked more to insulate ourselves and protect ourselves. We live in gated communities. We, 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 have, we, we, we say we're very open to everyone and to relationships when really we've got several layers of veneer protecting us, either from time commitments, either from hardship, either from giving up our resources or whatever. What happens when you gravitate more in your individualism toward isolation? You have to look for your enjoyment, your pleasure, your hope in things rather than people. You see people as time thieves. You see people as interrupters of your program. You see people as dangers or a risk that you're being forced to take. When in the Scripture what we see is the people of God, because they made Jesus Christ their Lord, they welcomed Christ in the group. They welcomed experiencing Christ in the community. And you're like, okay, I get it. Pastor, come up and lead us in this song. You're like, okay, Clint, I get it. You want us to live together in community. No, I'm telling you, if Jesus Christ is your Lord, you'll want that. That's what I'm telling you. You'll want that. And just our efforts to have everyone here living together in community, man, that'll be cake if we make Jesus Christ our Lord. So let's bring it back to our neighborhood here this morning. Does my lifestyle reflect a devotion to Jesus Christ as my Lord? There's a high cost of giving up all my rights as an individual and becoming a person that serves Christ's creation in one entire church body. It is. There, there's, there's something you give up. You make phone calls to people just to love them a little bit and pray with them. You go out and you watch them play ball or something like that. What does God call me to in Christian community? We, we, we do need to be a church with lots of options, but always calling ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. There was a thrill for me yesterday. I went and saw another ball game, a football player um, from our church. I'm going to tell you who he is, but, but he got handed off the ball about 65 yards away from the end zone, and he broke a tackle right at the line. He broke a tackle five yards uh, downfield. He broke it to the outside, and a guy dives at him right on the sideline, and he hurdles over this guy diving for him, and he clears the last 45 yards piece of cake. And I went, yes! And his dad went, yes! And we had a shared thrill. We had a shared thrill! But when it was all over with, I mean, the play was over. I wasn't celebrating the play. I'm celebrating the player. It was the nicest thing to have this dad walk up and go, hey, thanks for coming. And I wanted to start preaching my sermon and say, well, let me tell you about community. Let me tell you why it's important for me to care about you and your kid and why it's important for you to care about me and my kids. Why it's important for you, for all of us to be together in community and make Jesus Christ our Lord. I didn't do anything. I just walked away, I promise. 
but I wanted to. I wanted to tell him everything that was on my heart that I was preparing to share with you here this morning. Hey, let's have the thrill of being Christ's community. Let's have the thrill of each other because there's Jesus in all of us. There's Jesus to be brought out in us. There's Jesus to be celebrated in us. So what is God calling you to in Christian community? And what is God calling you from in order to get more of Christ in this community? Let's just sing this as a prayer. And we'll just make this one of our prayers as a church here this morning. And then, and then we'll dismiss. Way to go. Way to go. Thank you for helping proclaim the gospel to your church this morning. Veenings and extra veenings and additional veenings and veeningettes and all of that. Thank you for being here as well. All right. And I didn't say vining like they used to say for the two boys over the loudspeakers and when we were at away games, right? The veenings. Thanks for being here and worshiping with us and sharing Christ with us here this morning. Men, I want to see you there at four o'clock. It's not about me. I'm actually not doing much of it this, uh, this afternoon. Um, we're, it's really a lot of it's de- dependent upon you and God calling us together um, as men. I hope I'll see you there. We'll provide uh, everything that you need for that, but you can bring your Bible uh, for that at four o'clock. Um, I hope that you will encourage someone to come. We've got more church now as we break up into these groups. We share our stuff. We share our hearts. We share our lives uh, together. And so I dismiss us with this. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. That's a benediction about the lordship of Jesus. Make him your Lord today. God bless you. You're dismissed. Good to meet you, man. Yeah. Let me just turn this off.